Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, no. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pastor Jerry Watts was to have been in the pulpit this morning. He was gone most of the summer enjoying his first ever sabbatical. Our church has a very wonderful, generous sabbatical policy where if you're a full-time pastor after six years, you get eight weeks to rest, to study, to spend time with your family. I've been blessed by that sabbatical policy. And Jerry was blessed July and August for the first time by it. And he was eager to be here this past Wednesday when things cranked up with our youth and children's ministries, and he was eager to preach his first sermon after being gone so long. But instead, with Jerry not being here, our uh, awesome youth minister, Scott Strawn, stepped up and did a great job in Jerry's absence. And I hope you can tell, it's not Jerry Watts standing before you this morning. Jerry's in Seattle, Washington. And in about um, two hours... Uh, He'll be gathering with his family for the funeral of his father. It was supposed to have been his very first day back to work after sabbatical. His very first day. And around 5, 10 after 8, my phone rings, caller ID, it's Jerry. Hey Jerry, what's going on? Bruce, um, I just pulled out of the driveway. My sister called. My, My dad's dead. He died this morning. I told Jerry to just go back home be with joy 
decide how they together are going to tell their precious children about the death of their grandpa. Uh, Robert Watts died of an apparent heart attack at the age of 70. And depending on where you are in the journey called life, you're either thinking right now, man, he lived to a ripe old age. Or you're thinking, whoa, he died far too young. I'm of the latter. (laughs) Jerry felt horrible, terrible about leaving town for his father's funeral. Because he takes his duty here at Faith so seriously, I will tell you, I will tell you that Jerry is one of the most, if not the most, conscientious pastors I have known in 33 years of ministry across this great country of ours. We are truly blessed to have him on staff, and I am blessed in countless ways to count him as my brother in Christ and my colleague in ministry. And when Jerry was struggling with his duty to this church, to be here on Wednesday, to preach this morning, I rarely ever ever need to pull rank with anybody on my staff. That's not how we do ministry here at Faith. But in this instance, as the senior pastor, I had to say to Jerry, yeah, you've got duties, and you have duties as a son to your mom and a brother to your siblings at the death of your father that no one else can fulfill. So you go and take care of those duties. You go, Jerry, with our blessing and with our love because we got a whole year of Wednesdays ahead of us and you'll be back for those and you'll get to preach next weekend and I'll preach this weekend in your place and he's going to be flying back to Albuquerque later this week and next Saturday and Sunday during worship I I know that you're going to welcome him back with Christian love and kindness but it's Jerry's sense of duty that I've seen over and over again in countless ways that you might not even know of because he does it so humbly and so quietly. It's duty that is the theme of my message this morning and not just any duty, but Christian duty. Did you hear that long list of duties in Romans chapter 12 that I read for us? I mean, part of me, I'm just being honest, wants to say, hey, Paul, like, time out, just go easy. So many things that we're supposed to do, so many things for which we're responsible On and on. I mean, he hardly takes a breath. (laughs) And I, I tell you, it's important. It is nothing less than imperative and essential that we understand our Christian duties in light of the fullness of God's word of truth. And I've preached on this before. I will preach on it again and again until my last sermon before I retire or the last sermon before I die, whichever comes first. God's word is truth, and God's word comes to us powerfully and truthfully as law and as gospel. And I'm sad to say that in my 33 plus years of ministry, I have witnessed so many younger pastors in other church settings who don't yet understand this distinction between law and gospel. And if you confuse the two, you will create despair in people's hearts, not hope. And you will preach a false gospel. So this is serious, brothers and sisters. This right distinction between God's word, which is law, and gospel. 
one of the many appropriate and faithful ways of understanding the law is thinking about the if-then proposition. You know it. If you do this for me, I'll do that for you. Well, when we think about it in terms of righteousness and Christian duty, if you fulfill your duties, if you keep God's commandments, if you do everything you should do at all times, if you make yourself holy and keep yourself holy enough, then you will have earned your place in the kingdom. In light of our reading today from Romans, if we had God's word as only law and not gospel, the law would have us think this way. If, if you present your bodies as living sacrifices and have never ever done anything with your bodies that is displeasing to God, if you have never ever ever thought more highly of yourself than you ought, if you always, not sometimes, always do the right thing, and if you have never ceased from doing what is good, if you never skip your prayers, if you've never ever let a foul word out of your mouth, if you live in harmony with everyone, including your relatives, and if you've never thought about getting even with the person that did you wrong, if, if, if you've done the right never done the wrong, well, pat yourself on the back. You've saved yourself. The law then basically creates two possible responses if all we have is law, pride, or despair. If you think you're so holy and you've kept God's word and never sinned, well, you can be prideful like the Pharisees and think you're better than all the rest. You can be the kind of Christian who thinks, oh, yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world, for everyone else but not me. I don't need mercy. I don't need grace. I'm pretty darn good, thank you very much. I don't need to be cleansed by his blood because I'm not dirty. Or the law can drive you to despair. When you're honest with God and yourself, And you know you've sinned. You haven't just missed the mark when it comes to the list of duties that Paul writes in Romans. You know your secret sins that he doesn't enumerate. And you know them all too well. You know you rightfully stand in God's judgment. And the verdict is guilty. This morning, after the 9.30 service, a sister in Christ said to me, Pastor, your sermon... I heard you. Amen. But I think there's three responses, not just two. And I said, what would be a third response? And she said, well, the response that that I lived for so long. It wasn't arrogance and pride, and it wasn't despair. I was a liar. I was a pretender. I, I pretended that my life was perfect, and everything was fine, and that I didn't sin. And I went to church pretending to be like the people who seemed to be so holy when I knew in my heart that I wasn't. God's law turned me into a player, a liar. That's her witness. That's her sermon. But whether it's arrogance or despair or something in between, we can rejoice in the Lord because his word is not just law. His word is gospel. It's good news. 
And the gospel is not an if-then. The gospel is a holy, mighty, hope-restoring, because-therefore. Because God loves you, because Jesus died in your place on the cross, because the Holy Spirit has captured your heart by the mercy of your Father, because you've been joined to the death of Jesus so that you might be joined to his resurrection, because you can't save yourself from sin and death, because Jesus has done all this for you, because Christ paid the debt you cannot afford, because his blood makes the foulest clean, because, 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 therefore you can live in faith, hope, and love. You can finally serve God not as a have to, but because you get to. And in fact, you want to because you know God is so good and God is so great all the time. And if you doubt for one minute this distinction between law and gospel, if you think, oh, this is just a preacher with some seminary lesson in semantics, if you think there's not a difference between an if-then and because-therefore, then I want you to look at the lesson today right at verse 1. Before Paul lists all those duties of a Christian, what does he say? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. That's grace. Because God is merciful, we can look at how we should live. This is love. This is the good news. This is not a law that condemns to despair or allows anyone to boast in himself. God is mercy. By the mercies of God, we seek these things. God is merciful. God made the first move. God took on flesh and died the death we deserve. By the mercies of God, we can joyfully do our best to live the Christian life that Paul describes. By the mercies of God, we can... Consider what it means to love, to share, to forgive, to serve. Not as things we must do in order to be saved, but as our new way of living as those who have been saved. And we've been saved from sin and death. We've been saved from ourselves. Now, some of you might be thinking, I know this because I've been here a while. Well, that's not how it works with my duties at work. Hey, I get that. I get that. I have duties as your senior pastor. You may not know it, but I have a job description. If I neglect any of my duties, you can ask me to leave. And every year I am evaluated and reviewed by the executive board based on my duties to this congregation. I imagine it's the same for you where you work or was the same before you retired. And even if you're self-employed, if you neglect your duties to your clients and customers, you may soon find yourself with neither. This side of heaven, in the kingdom of this fallen world, I get that. There's duties. There's laws. There's codes of conduct. There's job descriptions. And dereliction of duty can result in consequences, dire consequences. But the kingdom of God is different. One, and only one, perfectly fulfilled his job description. One was perfectly dutiful to God in all things. Not Moses, not Elijah, not King David, not wise old Solomon, not Peter, not Paul. It was Jesus. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the will of the Father in all things, even to death on the cross. Jesus carried out his mission without failure. And when he said it's finished, as he died on the cross, it was finished, it was complete. It was done in total compliance with, if you want to use our language, the plans and purposes of God. 
because Jesus died for you, because Christ died in your place, because he paid the price you owe, because he took all your sins, the secret ones too, and nailed them to the cross, because he died and was raised, therefore, you don't have to fear God anymore. You don't have to let your past determine your future. You can serve the Lord with joy. You can do good works, not to earn a ticket to heaven, but why? Why do we do good works? We say at every baptism that others might see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. It's all about Him. And when we do good works, we glorify God and we, we help the neighbor in need. This is not just semantics. On this, the gospel stands or falls. By the mercies of God. Because God is mercy. Therefore, you can come to a table where otherwise we would have to run and hide. Jesus is at this table. The spotless Lamb of God. Without the gospel, how, how would we even want to approach this table? But because you're loved, because you're welcomed, because you're forgiven, because you're God's own precious child, sinner that you are, sinner that I am, therefore, Jesus says, come, eat this bread of life, drink this cup of salvation. Come and feast on my grace. It's not an if-then. If you're good enough, if you give enough, if you pray enough, it's never an if-then. Not because we deserve a place at the table and not because we've earned the right to be here. But we come to Jesus. We come to eat and drink by the mercies of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.